let's talk about uh, BC Hydro. Spent so much time today talking about, of course, yesterday's throne speech and, of course, the budget coming tomorrow. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, probably the most well-known crown corporation in our province, that's BC Hydro. Well, BC Hydro, uh, last year, in about October, applied for a 2.3% increase that would be starting this April. I'd add about $2 a month to the average residential bill. And at the time, uh, the energy minister said that it's the sixth year in a row that BC Hydro has applied for an increase below the rate of inflation. Sounds all wedding well and good because at the end of the day, it's a modest rate increase. But there's a lot of things that um, uh, BC Hydro is dealing with. And that, of course, uh, one of them is, of course, completing Site C, many broader challenges around climate change as well and droughts. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, the rate increase and what uh, we can look forward to in regards to some of the challenges uh, that I, uh, BC Hydro has is Richard McCandless. He's a retired senior BC government public servant. Mr. McCandless is also an intervener in the BC Utility Commission's reviews of BC Hydro and ICBC rate requests. Richard, thank you for joining us once again. Good to be with you, Jeff. I saw your latest commentary and I thought it was important that we we, we talk. Uh, this rate request, as I said, from last uh, October, it comes into effect on, on April 1st. You don't necessarily have a problem with it. In regards to your commentary, what you were talking about is what you're seeing looking forward into the medium and long term. Yeah, well, part of it was to highlight the fact that the government has chosen a slightly different approach to uh, influencing the Utilities Commission, if we can put it that way. Um, Oftentimes in the past, the previous government and this government have uh, sent um, very specific cabinet directives to the commission telling them what to do uh, with hydro and ICBC. Um, This time they've they've chosen to uh, use an approach of uh, putting out their priorities and hoping the commission um, incorporates those into their decisions. And that's what happened with this most recent one, which was um, actually done yesterday in terms of the 2.3% for the upcoming year. Mm -hmm. Um, But in getting more into the weeds, that was mostly due to the way the commission previously was going to handle some surplus money and it would have led to an actual decrease in rates next year and then a major increase the following year. So to try and smooth that out, um, Hydro asked the commission to, to reconsider, and they did. And so can you give me a sense of what rate increases would look like? You were saying modest increase next year and then a major increase the the year after? Yeah, I'm, I'm going by memory here, but it was around a 2 to 3% uh, decrease next year. Well, the, back, the reason for this this decrease is that uh, hydro had accumulated a large surplus in its trade profits, trade income, hmm. um, and they were the commission wanted them to use all that up or most of it next year, give it back to the ratepayers. Mm-hmm. So that would have led to a reduction in rates. The following year, they wouldn't have had that money, and then they got Site C coming on and some other inflationary costs. So their rates would have had to go up around 12%. So with this huge swing in rates, uh, that was deemed to be not appropriate and under the normal rate-setting uh, criteria, uh, rate stability rates high in the rate-setting criteria. So so the commission agreed that, yes, let's just smooth it out for a few years and 
use up the surplus over a period of time rather than all at once. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the right way to go. Your thoughts, I mean, I know it's a hard, it's a broad question, but your thoughts on where hydro is and its overall health uh, in your mind for in, in regards to what taxpayers would be concerned about, which is, you know, trying to provide the best and affordable rates for people at the same time, you know, making sure we're building for, for the future. How would, how would you view BC Hydro and its sort of medium-term and long-term uh, challenges? Well, that's, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I if didn't just, mean it to be. <laughs> if you ignore things like uh, droughts and things like that, the, the rate-setting agencies have always said that hydro has um, poor, ter, poor metrics because it, it's carrying a huge debt. And um, that the government, previous government and this government didn't seem to care too much um, because they, they said, well, the ratepayers eventually pay that off. Uh, so they loaded up hydro with a lot of debt, and it's still there. Hydro uh, hasn't made a, a profit in years. Um, and so what happens is they just carry this debt. And for the last number of years, that's been okay because interest rates have been pretty low. But now with interest rates going higher, uh, it's going to cost a lot more to service that debt. And then you add in Site C, um, some of that debt's already been loaded in, but most of it will be loaded in. So so that makes it very difficult for hydro in terms of carrying all this debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will eventually be reflected in rates uh, that, that we all have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you bring in more, <laughs> more short-term things like um, the drought, which is cutting into their production, uh, and then they're having to import power from outside of BC. Um, that's just me compounding the problem with with uh, pressures on their on their books. Hmm. Uh, and in regards to Site C, uh, w- w- when are we? F- when is it going to be completed? Is it still about a year away from completion? I believe it's December is when the first generators start to begin the spin. Um, now that's totally dependent on filling up the reservoir, and uh, they they had hoped to do that to begin that last fall, but they put it off. And um, one hopes they can start doing it by spring, because if they wait till summer, there may not be enough water to fill that reservoir. Hmm. Uh, and in regards to, you were talking about drought conditions, uh, this is just the new normal now for BC Hydro moving forward. This is part of their business plan in regards to, it's hard to gauge what's going to happen every year, but this is just part of the thinking and, and where, you're head, where ICBC said it's just part of doing business now. Uh, not necessarily. Their their long term forecasts and everything just generally assume that the this this drought, which is one of the worst ones they've faced, but they assume it will um, be gone in a couple of years and we'll all be back to kind of normal conditions. So that's how they've done their planning. They haven't incorporated a reduction in in domestic generation long term in their in their forecast yet. Um, so. Um, it depends on what scenario you want to choose to do your planning, but uh, uh, right now it's long-term drought is not in their forecast. Which I mean, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Why wouldn't it be in your mind? I mean, is this they believe this is part of a weather pattern that someone a couple of years, it, not that it'll go back to normal, but it'll be they'll be at a much better place. That's what they're assuming. Um, to assume otherwise is pretty scary uh, in terms of <laughs> yeah. the rate payers and. And what it means for for hydro. I mean, we men- I mentioned this before. All their uh, generation is in 
one basket. It's hydropower, mm-hmm. and uh, that's dependent on uh, heavily dependent on weather. Um, so, especially precipitation and snowpack, and so the they need to diversify their their sources of energy, and uh, whether wind solar is not that great in a province like BC, but it may be great in the deserts of California, but not here. And um, so they're left with wind or or something like um, natural gas with carbon capture or even nuclear uh, to, to diversify their sources of power. Do you think, and the wind I, I, I understand, uh, although there's challenges with any, any uh, new technology, but I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, maybe I'm looking backwards rather than forwards, but I, I just... I'm just looking at our province's activism and activist community. Uh, I just don't know how you start up a conversation about nuclear this day and age in, in an activist province like British Columbia. Well, when the lights start going out, maybe people will ask for something <laughs> beyond well, hydropower. Yeah, that's um, it. That is you know, true. It's, um, you know, it's been operating quite nicely in Ontario for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And it provides, I believe, 25, 30%, maybe more of their of their power. Um, I think it actually might be 50%. Um, and, you know, um, Germany's in a real bad spot right now because they shut down a lot of their nuclear plants. Um, and it wasn't due to safety. It was just uh, because of Fukushima. Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, I remember the conversation around Germany, and then I, I covered the Fukushima issue uh, when the tsunami hit. And yes, yeah. there was concerns, but it was an it's an older technology. Location was is going to be different. We build them so differently now as well. Yeah. Uh, as well, so there's a it's a, it's a different. France, of course, has been working with nuclear for years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, They're a leader in the field. Well, next month we're going to have an energy series, uh, uh, sort of a two or three week long energy series, and I look forward to have you uh, back, join us back at that time. We can talk a little broadly about the province's energy needs uh, on a, on a broad variety and broad uh, uh, sort of uh, way, because there's not just uh, hydro, as you've said. There's wind and solar and nuclear and hydrogen, and so many different things to look at. So, look forward to having you on next month, Richard. Thank you so much for your time. Glad to be with you. Thank you.